It is the freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Thank you very much for that reading, and it's uh, great to be with you tonight. Just checking, uh, can you hear me okay at the back? Is that all right? Got the, you, you always know, never know whether you're meant to be up here or down there, but it's sort of there. Is that right? Good. Fantastic. Well, tonight we are um, going to think about that reading we just had uh, a moment ago. So um, as, we, as, we, as we sit, shall we pray as we uh, prepare to, to listen? Lord God, our, our prayer tonight is that you would send us your Holy Spirit. That spirit that enables us to hear not just human words, but your words spoken to us. So come Holy Spirit, open our ears and our hearts and our minds that we might receive what you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well today, of course, as you can be reminded by the poppies behind us, is uh, Remembrance Sunday. And uh, Remembrance Sunday is a day when we think about the wars that have taken place that have involved people from this country over the last centuries. And it's a time when we, we kind of remember what, what we were fighting for. And in fact, you can tell what a culture values by what it goes to war over. Back in the um, 18th century, uh, we used to fight our wars over religion. That's what we did. There were all kinds of wars of religion back at that time. In the 19th century, we fought our wars over empire. In the 20th century, in the 21st century, we fight our wars over freedom. The Second World War was a battle for freedom from the threat of Nazi tyranny. And even in more recent times, the uh, first Iraq war, for example, when the uh, Western allies went to fight um, uh, in Iraq. Uh, the, the, the campaign was called Operation Enduring Freedom. And there was that period of time when uh, Western governments, American, European, we had this idea that we could somehow export freedom to other parts of the world that didn't experience freedom. We thought it was a good idea to take our freedoms, our democracies, and take them to other parts of the world that didn't experience these. Uh, as you can tell, it didn't quote quite so well as we hoped. Uh, at the time. But it indicates to us one of the really central ideas of our culture. This idea of freedom, that's what we fight 
for, to defend it, but also sometimes to export it as well. It is such a crucial idea at the heart of our culture. And you will probably find over the next five weeks as the politicians are trying to get our votes, that they will talk quite a lot about freedom. Each one of them, every party wants to say, we are the party of freedom. Although they might understand that in all kinds of different ways. Now, this idea of freedom, it's a very powerful idea in our culture. And there are so many things that, that offer freedom, but that don't always deliver. Uh, I am old enough to remember the day when someone came to me and said, um, you know, there's this amazing new invention. And it's going to change all our lives. It's called email. And no longer will you want to send a message to someone. Will you have to take out a bit of paper and get a pen and write it all out, put the address, put it on an envelope, stick it in the, in the box, wait for a week until it arrives, and then they write a letter back again, and maybe two weeks later you might get a reply. It won't be like that at all. It'll be amazing. You can just type it out on your screen, press a button, and off it goes. And they can reply back again within a minute. What are we going to do with all the time we've got left <laughs> when email is here? It's going to liberate us. It's going to make us free. Anyone feel liberated by email? <laughs> I also remember the time when someone came and said, there's this other invention that's going to transform us totally. It's called the mobile phone. Again, no longer will you have to sit at home waiting for a phone call. No longer will you have to sort of sit there making your calls from home because it's kind of linked to the wall with a wire. You'll have your phone wherever you go. It's going to liberate you. It's going to free you. Anyone feel freed by their mobile phone? Anyone feel that their wife or husband is freed by their mobile phone? No, maybe not. The things that promise freedom don't always give it. Now, this idea of freedom, which is such a powerful idea in our culture, what do we mean by it? And uh, it's something I began to think about quite a lot a number of years ago, and it struck me that, that what we Christians mean, by, think, mean when we talk about freedom is actually quite different from the way people talk about freedom outside the church. The Christian faith actually talks about freedom quite a lot. We had it in that reading just a moment ago. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. We talk about how Christ brings us freedom. One of the reasons why this new opening for the church, and why it's so exciting, is the possibility of people coming into this church who maybe were a little bit repelled by it before, and finding what Christ brings. And one of those great things that Christ brings is freedom. We long that people will come through those doors and find the freedom that Christ brings here in this place. But what do we actually mean by that freedom? And now, it's a little bit of a history lesson for a moment that just helps us to understand what, if you like, our secular culture understands by freedom. And the roots of this go back quite a long way. They go back in the last few centuries to some of the key thinkers that have really shaped our view of freedom. So you get something like um, a very odd man uh, called Jean-Jacques Rousseau, uh, who lived in Geneva. And he was one of the great architects of this idea of freedom. And his idea was that freedom was returning to some kind of natural state. He felt that civilization cramps you. 
that what had happened over the period of his human history is that all the kind of expectations of civilizations and society, they make you, they crush you into their mold. And what you need to do is get rid of all those expectations and return to some kind of natural state where you can do what really you, you really want to do rather than what you're expected to do by society, and that will bring you freedom. Freedom is the return to nature. Whenever you go into the supermarket, when you go into Waitrose next door or Sainsbury's or Tesco's or wherever you go, and you go and you see uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the packets of, of, um, uh, of breakfast cereals or the, or the shampoos, and it says, this is a natural shampoo or natural breakfast. That idea that natural is good, take away and strip away all the chemicals back to the nature. Well, that's kind of Rousseau, the idea that if you go back to the, you know, your, what, your original instincts, take away all the things that society expects you to do, that's freedom. But then you get someone like um, John Locke, an English philosopher, who says that basically freedom is our personal space for actions. And basically what he says is that he has a more positive view of society. He kind of says that society... Um, uh, well, basically, the way societies are set up is that uh, the state uh, is there to guard our freedoms, but also to make sure that we don't infringe upon everybody else's freedom. So in other words, each individual person, you and me, we should have a certain degree of freedom to do what we like with our time, our possessions, our money, uh, and our talents. And that basically, we are all free to do what we want with what we have. But he recognizes that the problem is that if we all did exactly what we wanted, then we would kind of bump into each other quite a bit. We would end up infringing upon each other's freedom. And so what the state does, what government is all about, is guarding the space of each of our personal freedom. So it's stopping you from preventing me from doing what I want to do with my time and my talents and my abilities. But it's also stopping me from stopping you doing that. So that's kind of what the state does. It guards our own personal space for freedom. And then you have someone like John Stuart Mill, um, a philosopher of the 19th century, who basically his idea about freedom is that freedom, freedom is freedom of expression. He says that societies wither when everybody thinks the same way. And so one of the really important things society needs are freedom of expression. Freedom of artistic expression, freedom of language and literature and art and, art and, 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 and opinion. And so everyone should be free to say, to think exactly, to exactly what they like as long as they do not harm someone else. And that was his famous principle of harm that uh, Mill talked about. So here are these three really key ideas of freedom. And what they have given to us is an idea of freedom that is very common in our culture. That freedom is basically the freedom to do what I like to freedom to do and to be whoever I like, as long as I do not impinge on anyone else's freedom. Does that sound familiar? It's basically the idea of freedom we understand, isn't it? That every one of us should be free to do what we choose to do with our time, our talents, our abilities, our money, and so on, as long as we don't harm anybody else. Now, there is, if you like, our secular idea of freedom. It is the freedom to do what I want, to be what I want, to be myself. I have this space of freedom as long as I don't infringe upon anyone else's freedom. 
Now, if that is what freedom is, and we kind of assume that's what freedom is, and then you kind of read the Bible talking about freedom, it feels a bit odd, doesn't it? Because when you read the Bible talking about freedom, the Bible also talks about obeying the will of God, doing what God tells you. Obedience, that doesn't sound like freedom. So how do we square this circle? How do we understand the difference in Christian ideas of freedom and secular ideas of freedom? Before we get onto that, we're just trying to highlight what I think, because I think this, this view of freedom that we, we kind of assume within our culture has a number of really significant problems with it. If you really want to know what the problems are, you've got to read my book on it. Um, I didn't bring any copies, I'm afraid, but um, it's a little book called, um, it's all about freedom. I forgot what the title is now. Um, um, the Paradox of Freedom, I think it's something like that. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. Bound to be free, that's what it's called. Yeah, exactly. Bound to be free. Um, there you go. But the, heart, the main problem, I think, with this idea of freedom that we assume in our culture, that freedom is freedom to do what I like as long as I don't harm anybody else, is this. What does it do to our relationships with one another? How does it make me view you? And how does it make you view me? Because what it does is that it tells me that you are at best a limitation or at worst a threat to me and my freedom. I would like to be able to do whatever I want, but I can't because you might stop me. I might want to play my music loud on a summer's evening, but I can't because I've got a neighbor who, I, who might be disturbed if I play my music loud. So I have to kind of stop myself doing what I really want to do. And I find that frustrating. But it might be that you want to play your music loud on a summer's night. And you can't do it because I don't like loud music. And so I am a break upon your freedom. Now what does that do to our relationship? It sets up these relationships of opposition, of conflict, even sometimes of fear. It's not surprising we are in such a kind of polarized, antagonistic state in our culture if that's our idea of freedom. Well, we set up an idea of freedom with freedom to do what I want, but I can't because my neighbor stops me. Now, if that's a secular idea, what then is a Christian view of freedom? Well, let me just say, point out one or two things about this. Number one, in the reading we had a few moments ago, we read about how St. Paul starts off with the, with the assumption, not that we are free, but that we are bound. He says, he talks about a, being under a yoke of slavery. That as human beings, we are not as free as we think we are. We think we're free to do what we want, but actually, are we really that free after all? We think we are free to choose, but actually the New Testament says again and again, we are not as free as we think we are. In fact, St. Paul talks about this. He talks about how the, the world is in the chains of hostile powers that enslave it. In Galatians chapter 4, the chapter before the one we read, it talks about how when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And uh, for St. Paul, that kind of works in itself out in different ways. So for, for Jewish people, it meant the, uh, the law. The law was one of these uh, enslaving powers. For Gentiles, it was those pagan gods. And for St. Paul, it seemed that for him, the main effect of sin is, is not actually that it makes us guilty, but it enslaves us. It enslaves us. It makes us slaves. Now, how does this work for him? 
Now, maybe this is a way of thinking about it. Again, we think we're free to do what we choose. But actually, in our world around us, there are all kinds of forces making us think and act in certain ways that actually we don't have much choice over. Step back for a moment and you begin to realize how much you and I are manipulated and controlled by advertising campaigns, marketing strategies, designed to make us think we need things that we don't and that we want things that actually are going to be quite bad for us. It wasn't very long ago that we had that whole business of Cambridge Analytica. Uh, it was harvesting data uh, from Facebook and other things to make people vote in a certain way. And we began to realize that behind the scenes there are all kinds of forces influencing us one way or the other, subtly, in all kinds of ways we don't even realize. To want certain things or to buy certain things, or to have certain opinions. So we realize that we live in a, in, in a culture which is much more controlled than we think it is. I sit there on my, my Mac typing away thinking that I am a free individual because I've chosen this machine. Is it because I'm free? Or is it because I've been bombarded with adverts for so many years telling me that Macs really are the best thing to have and you really need to be, have one of these if you're going to be a cool person? If you're going to write something creative, you really need a Mac? Oh, yeah, I need a Mac. We are all influenced by all kinds of things that we don't even realize. We're influenced by economic systems that pressurize us into buying stuff all the time. Stuff that half the time when you sit back, you think, don't really need this at all. That's the external stuff. But then there's the internal stuff. Very often, again, when you're in your quiet moments, you have these, those moments when you suddenly lose your temper and you, 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 you wish you hadn't, or you suddenly find yourself jealous and envious of someone else who maybe is better looking than you are or has a better figure or has a better job or, a, or, or you know, better prospects or whatever it might be. You find yourself resenting other people and you wish you could somehow be free of this. And somehow you just can't. It's not as simple as saying, I could just let go of anger and greed and resentment and jealousy and lust and pride and all those things that just cling on to the heart. We wish we could be free of them, but we're not. They keep on coming back. So whether it's external or internal, we are not as free as we think we are. And that's where the New Testament starts, its understanding of Christian freedom. We are not neutral agents, free to choose between good and evil. There's a twist in our nature, that twist that gives us an instinct to choose our own interests over others, to ignore the needs of others if it inconveniences us, to be jealous of those who succeed in ways that we haven't. We are not free of those things in the way that we wish we might be. We sometimes think we are free to do what we want, but what we want is so much and so often the problem. The heroin addict thinks that they are free to take that extra shot of heroin. But from the outside, you realize they're not free at all. They are bound. But actually, all of us are bound in some way, in less obvious ways than that. We are all addicts to sin. So that's where it starts. 
this idea that we are not as free as we think we are. But the second thing the Christian faith says about freedom is that Christ sets us free. In our reading a moment ago, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And it says that on the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus, he took on the powers that enslave the human race and has defeated them once and for all. That's the message that the New Testament says again and again and again, that in the cross and the resurrection, Jesus took on the powers that enslave the human race and has broken them once and for all. And as a result, St. Paul proclaims that Jewish people no longer have to obey the law. Gentiles no longer come under the powers of these mysterious forces that make them behave in ways they don't really want to. And so therefore, for him, the gospel is a, a declaration of freedom, that we are forgiven, ransomed, free from all that enslaves us. So that the gospel is a declaration of freedom from shame. So much of what controls us is that deep sense of shame, that sense that we are not what we know we would long to be. And the gospel that gives us forgiveness, gives us freedom from shame, but it also is a declaration of freedom from fear. Again, so much of what we do in our lives is, is, is motivated by fear, fear and anxiety about the future. What, what if it doesn't work out all right? What if everything goes really, really badly wrong? What if I lose everything? But at the heart of the gospel is this declaration that Christ has risen from the dead and therefore it ends okay. It ends well. You do not lose everything if you are in Christ. In fact, you gain everything in Christ. And so the gospel is this declaration of freedom from shame, freedom from fear. But then the next thing and the last thing that the gospel says about freedom is that freedom in the Christian understanding is not the freedom to do and to be what I choose, but it is the freedom to do and to be what I was created to be. Now, that of course raises the question, what was I created to be? Now, come on to that in a moment. But this is a key difference in the Christian understanding of freedom. And uh, you can maybe understand it in this, um, uh, this particular um, way of thinking about it. Two different understandings of freedom. Think for a moment of um, two sisters. Two sisters growing up who both love music. Okay, they both love music. And uh, they want to be able to play music, and they're both sent across to lessons by their parents. And one of the sisters thinks, I don't want to do lessons. Lessons are boring. I want to go out. I want to go to parties. I want to have a good time. I want to do everything I want to do. And so she doesn't bother with the lessons. She doesn't learn her scales. She doesn't do anything at all. She goes out and has a good time. She thinks she's free. She's free to do what she wants to do. But then when she gets to kind of mid-20s or 30s, and she, she, she has this abiding love for music. And, and, and when, she, when she, you know, she sits in front of a piano, and she thinks, I really wish I could play this thing. And she tries to play it, but she can't. She tries to follow a tune, but she keeps on making mistakes. And actually, it doesn't really work terribly well at all. She is not free to make the music she longs to make. Her sister, on the other hand, does the lessons, learns her scales, works hard, 
learning how to play the piano, doesn't make the parties, doesn't do all the stuff that she might have otherwise wanted to do, but when she gets to her mid-twenties and her thirties, faced with a piano, she is free to make the most extraordinary music, not just the music on the page, but actually to improvise and to do stuff that she wants to do and to make beautiful music out of this piano in front of her. Which sister is free? The one who did whatever she wanted to do? Or the one who disciplined herself to do what she purposed to do? Now, if you like, maybe gives this understanding of freedom. One of the philosophers on this talks about the difference between a freedom of indifference. Freedom of indifference, which is freedom to do whatever you want to do. That freedom where you keep your options open. Then he talks about the freedom for excellence. The freedom that comes when you are able to do the very thing that you were meant to do. And that is what Christian freedom is. It tells us that there is a purpose for human life. We are not just left to make it up for ourselves. When Jesus was asked the question, what is the purpose of human life? Well, wasn't quite asked it like that. The question was, what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing to learn in this life? His answer was quite simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This sums up all the law and the prophets. If you want to know what is the secret of human life, what we are here on this earth to do, what is the purpose for which we were made, it is to become people capable of love for God and love for our neighbor. Love for God and all the sense of gratitude that comes from that to be people full of thankfulness and gratefulness for all that God has given us. And love for our neighbor, which is all about generosity. Like a generous spirit that gives because we have received so much gratitude and generosity. And so Christian freedom is freedom to become that kind of person. It's freedom from anything that would stop you becoming that kind of person. It's freedom from anything that would stop you loving God and loving your neighbor. Because actually that is what makes us really happy. It's what makes you really happy as a human being is to know you are loved by the God who made you. And you become the kind of person who is free to love your neighbor. Not held back by your own jealousy and anger and resentment and fear. But instead you lose all of those things and are able to give yourself in love to your neighbor. But Paul understood this. He said it in this very passage. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the freedom to obey that law. That's what Christian freedom is. And so freedom is freedom from those internal impulses. It's freedom from the jealousy and the fear and the anxiety and the, the pride and the lust and the greed that stop us reaching out in love to our neighbors. It's freedom from the external influences, those economic systems, those pressures that come upon us that make us think we're not complete until we've got money and status and things and all of that. 
It is instead the freedom to be full of the things that we read about in the last part of our reading, those fruits of the Spirit. It's freedom to be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. So if there's one thing you want to take away from tonight, one thing you remember, it is this. Christian freedom is not the freedom to do what I want. It's the freedom to love God and my neighbor. And it's freedom from anything that would stop me becoming that kind of person. Now, if that's what Christian freedom is, just think about what that does to our understanding of freedom and what it does to our relationships with each other. We saw in the secular understanding of freedom, it sets us up as enemies. You are someone who stops me from realizing my true freedom. In this understanding, your neighbor is not a threat, but a gift. If I am to become someone capable of loving my neighbor, I need someone to practice on. I need you. You need me. You cannot become someone able to love your neighbor without a neighbor to love. I cannot become someone capable of loving my neighbor unless I've got a neighbor to love. Suddenly the relationship is transformed, so our neighbors are now gifts and not threats or limitations. God becomes not a threat to my freedom, giving me all kinds of laws and restrictions, telling me to do stuff I don't want to do and everything else. God now becomes the one without whom I cannot find true freedom. Because it's only in the context of loving God and being loved by God that I can begin to lose that jealousy and that fear and that anxiety and that pride that holds me back from love for my neighbor and for God himself. Suddenly with this view of freedom, I become free to be the person God created me to be. Freedom to say no to myself and those desires that if I let rip will actually destroy me and my friendships and my family and the planet on which we live. Freedom to say no to those things and instead to focus upon the one thing that truly matters, love for God and love for our neighbors. Our culture tells us that we will be free when we discover ourselves. That we need to somehow look inside to find out who we really are. Become free from everybody else and their expectation. Don't listen to anybody else, just be yourself. Have you heard that before? The Christian gospel tells us that we become free when we lose ourselves. When we become less self-obsessed. When we become free of that crippling self-obsession. And instead become free to be more fascinated by our neighbor's need than our own. By their needs than ours. Freed from that crippling anxiety about myself and how does everybody think of me. But free instead to love my neighbor and to be fascinated by them and the God who made me and them. So often it is that self-obsession that makes us anxious and fearful. Imagine losing that. Imagine no longer worrying about what everybody else thought about you. Imagine being free of that. So you could actually give your attention to how can I meet my neighbor's needs? How 
can I know more about them? How can I love them? How can I love God? How can I receive more of God's love for me? What if it was that we were so caught up with others' welfare that we had no longer had any time to worry too much about our own? But what would it be like if we were in a society where actually I didn't have to worry too much about my own needs because everybody else was looking out for mine? Imagine that. Imagine we were London. And actually each one of us no longer had to worry about our own fortunes and our own anxieties because everybody else was looking out for us and saying, yeah, you okay? You can Rather than our own space, guarding our own personal freedoms, we were instead bound together in this network of mutual care and mutual love that we talk about in the gospel. That's the radical nature of Christian freedom. So it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And this, this place, this church, that today we've kind of opened up just that little bit more to the community, is the place where we learn this Christian freedom. It's the place where we come to find our neighbor in a city where sometimes we don't even know our neighbors. We walk past them all the time. It's a place we come to know the God who gives freedom, to hear that gospel, to allow it to settle into our hearts and our minds, this gospel that sets us free to be the people God created us to be.